Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey, I love the show. I've learned a lot. This is Don from Durham, North Carolina. I've got a question about BGFV, Big Five Sporting Goods. I had it in August and then sold it in November at a really good profit and then it plummeted. And provides unbiased answers. The chart has come back down into this high teen range and it's been there for about two months now and it's just bearish consolidation. There's no other way to characterize this. Invest Talk, over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, February 3rd, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, and I'm excited to be here today to answer your finance and investment questions. And on this radio show and podcast, as always, I'm going to help you navigate these volatile, volatile and unpredictable times. We've been witnessing large cap stocks trading like small cap stocks. Uh, and there's an indication to that. There's a there's a uh, there's a story in those movements, and we're going to discuss that on today's show. And just uh, the crazy market that we're in, where the opportunities are, where the where the risks are, and I'm going to help you act, help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom, and build the tools day by day to make good money and investment decisions. So, of course, you can reach out to me during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, and ask your question at 888-9-CHART. And when you call, I'm going to give you the unbiased answer, the most unbiased answer that I can. Because I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. No matter what I'm talking about, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them in front of me, plus using my 20 plus years of investment experience. So whether I'm talking about a stock, a sector, a strategy, whatever it is, I am here to just distill uh, both sides of the argument, hopefully, and to give you the tools, give you the power to make the decision. And no, with knowledge, you know, say the knowledge is power. That's what I'm trying to give you here. It's knowledge so you have the power to act and act appropriately. So I encourage you to reach out to me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. If you're listening after hours, no big deal. I know there's a lot of podcast listeners out there, and that means you can leave a message on our Invest Talk Voice Bank 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. I love the show. I've learned a lot. This is Don from Durham, North Carolina. I've got a question about BGFV, Big Five Sporting Goods. I had it in August and then sold it in November at a really good profit and then it plummeted. And I'm looking at it, you know, I sold it at like 42 and now it's 19. The company still, in my mind, looks 
pretty good. The price to sales looks good. The return on equity, but I see that it's like 30% of the shares or something are shorted. So I was just wondering what you think about BGFV, where it is right now. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, this is Big Five Sporting Goods, and this is a name we did own for clients, I believe, in 2020, but we've we sold it uh, a while ago, and you know you did well with it, and it's come back down. It's now 60% off its 52-week high, and it spiked up in August, and that's probably when you sold it, and that short interest was probably big fuel to that big surge up in August. Well, uh, just like most short squeeze rallies, they don't last very long and, and prices tend to come back in dramatically and you've seen that here. And then now that that's over, now it's more about what are the fundamentals of the business. And they are supposed to earn about $4.52 for the full year last year, still waiting to uh, report fourth quarter earnings. But for this year, earnings are expected to drop 28% down to $3.24. And you'd say, well, it's, a, it's about an eight, it's $18, dollars $19 stock. That's, that's pretty cheap. Really cheap, actually, trading at five, six times earnings. And that's well and good, but the history of this business is, is not fantastic. And you're seeing a reversion to uh, the mean. Pre-pandemic, they're only earning 39 cents a share. And so if you go back to something around those levels, you're, you're probably looking at a very, very high multiple. Pre-pandemic, this was trading in the 2 to $3 range. It's at $19 today. So the big question you have to ask is, how sustainable is this $3, $4, even $2? I mean, you can $2 in earnings, that still makes it relatively cheap. But I don't think it can for the longer term, uh, simply because uh, it's it, it's management has gotten better, but I still think uh, they're going to struggle. Uh, because the goods, remember, there's a lot of pull forward of demand for goods during the pandemic. And now that's all reversing. I talked yesterday about the shift from goods to services and spending was went from 31% pre-pandemic all the way up to 36% of consumer spending. And now it's down to about 34 and that will likely trend back to 31. And so uh, the demand for their type of goods that they sell, athletic apparel, they don't have, they, they, I think Nike pulled from, from their uh, stores. Uh, they just don't have, uh, I think a lot of drivers except for outdoor equipment. And like I said, that was a lot of demand that was pulled forward there. So I don't like that. And then look at the chart. The chart has come back down into this high teen range, and it's been there for about two months now, and it's just bearish consolidation. There's no other way to characterize this. The chart is bearish. It's below all the major moving averages. It's been consolidating for weeks now in this range, and this looks ready to break down probably into the low, low teens. So I'm definitely passing on big five. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. NFT traders should get a, get ready for a potential tax bill shock. Regulators have signaled that they are preparing to act aggressively to ensure that those who purchased NFTs and crypto are taxed appropriately. Now we're entering tax season. Remember, just a couple months away, you have to file your taxes. And uh, if you have been investing in the crypto space or just the, the markets in general, you need to be aware of the tax consequences. So we're going to look at that. Also, I want to discuss rising rates and what that's done to some bond funds. Amazon shifting to potentially a more unionized workforce. What might that mean for profits uh, after their earnings today? And then lastly, we're going to go over the, uh, the, the 
the European gas situation and the mix of sources there. And there's really, uh, I think the most undercovered story in media today is the energy crisis in Europe. And everyone wants to talk about Russia and Ukraine and that geopolitical uh, brinksmanship that's happening over there. But part of that, and a big part of that, has to do with Russian gas supplies to the rest of Europe and the bargaining power that gives them uh, in something like this. And maybe that's a, a catalyst for them to be uh, a little bit more aggressive than they would be. Uh, but it, I want to discuss that because it's important to understand and why that also might lead to more crises around the world. So we're going to look at those stories. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question. Let's take a look at the market today. The SP was down 112 points, really on the back of Facebook. And that was down about 25% today. Daily active users on the Facebook platform have been first time ever declined. And I mean, I've, I've, hasn't have I haven't been a monthly active user for probably uh, close to a decade now, but it you know it's it's just a dying platform, and there's uh, even they showed what was interesting is Instagram had a bit of a tick down, that's still growing, but uh, definitely not an uptrend, um, and so they guided lower, ad spending was lower, uh, it's just a not a good situation over at Facebook. That's why I haven't been a big fan of it. You know, there are certain thing names that I think are, are, are the strongest franchises and Facebook is definitely not one of them. It, it's, I would say Apple and Google are probably the strongest of the thing names from a, a, a competitive standpoint. And you see that in, in the earnings uh, with, with Google and, and, and so really not a shock. Uh, and it just shows you when you have these heavy weighted, companies in the indices and they have bad earnings like you saw with facebook it really weighs on the indexes overall if you look at the russell that was down uh, about 38 points but that's not that's not dramatic uh about one percent there and you see growth absolutely got crushed a large cap growth down almost five percent looking at the morning star style boxes over here and small cap growth so you think it would be worse it actually was a lot better down 2.89 percent and the value side definitely was down but only large cap value is only down 0.8 percent on the day so and a lot of that had to do with the strength in the oil markets you have wti hitting 90 dollars a barrel and hey uh you know what i'm saying there's a, a bull market somewhere there's always a bull market somewhere there's always opportunity and you need to be aware of that and what's happening now is there's opportunity in the energy market now it's a bit overbought but you can see that despite what's happening in other parts of the market in the tech the tech wreck as a whole there are sectors of the market that will perform that you can make money in so uh don't remember it's a market of stocks not a stock market now, it's a busy Invest Talk Thursday, and I know you've got questions, and I've got answers for you, so my phone lines are open at 888 chart
The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. We're going to go talk to CJ in Seattle looking at Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you looking to buy AMD or you hold it, held it for a while? You know, I'm looking to get in. I've been watching it for a while over the last year. I, I see it as obviously one of those higher multiple names uh, that's had great growth. I, I understand that, you know, that part of the market we might be kind of cycling away from. But uh, given the quality of the the company, the return on equity and, and the growth that it's sustaining, I, I think, you know, it might be worth it even at, at these still expensive prices. And I was just wondering what you thought about this company. Well, I like the way you're thinking in the sense that uh, it's okay to pay a premium for good companies, good quality companies that have good cash flows, good return on equity, um, good, good consistent dividends, good balance sheet, et cetera. And if you look in the near term, AMD qualifies for most of that, no dividend, but uh, solid balance sheet, good cash flow, return on equity very high over the past few years. But historically, it, it hasn't been that type of performer. And the big question is, the recent catch-up to Intel, is this something that is sustainable? Or is Intel, now that they have gotten rid of their ex-CEO that was the ex-CFO and they hired a ex-CTO uh, to write the ship on the technology side that they will succeed. Um, and remember, Intel's much bigger. They have much bigger sales. Now, market cap's roughly similar, but Intel sales are, are much, much better. And uh, I think that your, you have to look at it that way too. AMD and Intel, it's kind of a duopoly there in the, uh, in the semiconductor space for uh, you know, major CPUs. So that's one question you have to ask yourself. I think Intel will catch up, but that's still yet to be seen. And then you have to think of the semiconductor cycle as a whole. I talked before about how the shift towards away from goods that we've had over the past couple of years to more services as the economy reopens, uh, people spend money going out, entertainment, uh, travel, things like that. And like I said, the pandemic helped them. They were making 64 cents in 2019, made $1.29 in 2020, $2.79 last year, expected to make almost $4 this year. But 
I just don't see that sustained. And I think we're near the, uh, the high end of that cycle. So I, I don't like uh, AMD at these levels. Our value is much, much lower uh, around about $85 per share or now about 120. So it's uh, yeah, it's off 27% from its high, but it did break uh, major support recently. It's retested that support and, and came back off. So uh, yeah, the, the, the chart looks poor. I think it's overvalued. I think you're at the, the peak of the, uh, the semiconductor cycle. And I think you're about to see an oversupply of semiconductors in the market, and that's going to bring down margins and profits. So uh, I'm going to pass on AMD. Now we'll take a break right now. Don from Pleasanton. Hang on. You'll be next on Invest Talk at 888 chart Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. A warrant is a right to buy shares of stocks at a certain price. What's your question? Would you recommend to put all my funds right away in the market or you recommend dollar cost average? Got a question for Steve or Justin? 888-99-CHART. It's been another Investor Thursday, and we've all seen the market move up, down, and all around. It's called volatility, and you'll have investment and finance questions for Steve and Justin. They welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. We're going to go to Pleasant Hill and talk with Don. How are you doing, Don? Oh, exceptionally well, thank you. Um Wife and I are in the process of selling a small inheritance uh, property in uh, New York, uh, about a million dollars. Once we get that, we're looking at uh, buying another place here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at selling our house, which is about a million dollars, and then buying a, a $2 million place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we want to come in with a, a strong offer. So we want an all-cash offer. Mm -hmm. Don't really want to sell our house. Um, I know we can take a mortgage out on it and, and, and go from there. Uh, but I was looking at an option on E-Trade where I have enough equities where I can uh, easily borrow a, a, a million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so then we put the, uh, two, you know, the money together, we buy the property, and then we'll sell our house and pay off that 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 uh, line of credit. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with that? Besides being expensive, I think it's like, we're probably going to be six seven percent interest. I don't, I'm not too sure. Besides being expensive, what's wrong with that? Well, the only risk, the only real risk there is that if your equity holdings, right, you have enough in E Trade that you can can borrow up to usually 50% of your overall portfolio. So I'm assuming you have at least $2 million yeah. in E-Trade. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and the worry is that exactly. if you borrow a million and your account goes below 2 million during that time where you're kind of trying to sell your property, you would get what's called a margin call. And that means you okay. probably need to sell positions or add more money to the account uh, in the near term to get back uh, off uh, a margin call. And so that's probably the biggest risk, especially right now when you know uh, market's volatile and you really need to understand the risk in your portfolio to see if how likely that might be. Uh, and so that's that's your biggest risk as, as a margin call. Does that make sense? 
that makes sense, and I'm very comfortable at this point in time, even with the market going down. Uh, okay. So besides high interest, the market call, would you have uh, any other suggestions on how to get a, a, like a bridge loan? This seemed like the fastest way. Yeah, I think that's the fastest way. I would try to negotiate too with E-Trade and try to get that cost down because oftentimes oh, – yeah, well, you, you talk to them and say, you know, they have a standard ra- called a rack rate, margin rate. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I've seen in the past where you say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't want to pay 9% or whatever their margin rate is. Can you get me down? And they'll usually talk to their their their, their superior. Mm-hmm. And if it's a large loan like that, they want that loan. They don't want you to go and, and get a bridge loan somewhere else. So they're going to try to be probably competitive. Uh, it, it, you know, right. if you if you're if you're weigh, if you say you're weighing your options, and so they might give you a, okay. a discount, especially with uh, you're talking about you have millions of dollars over there uh, with them. They want they want to keep you. They want to make you happy. You know, that's uh, over at TD. We we same thing. We can uh, talk to our team and try to get that. that any uh, we have clients that have done that this before, where they have a short term thing where they're buying a property and, and they want to they want to margin their account by thirty percent over a short period of time. Take out a few hundred thousand dollars whatever it is and we've, we've helped them negotiate that down a little bit lower so e-trade should uh, allow you to do that and give you a, a little bit better rate and you're right that is a pretty simple straightforward way uh to do it but hopefully your house sells in this market it should sell pretty fast and try to pay that back relatively quickly and if you need help understanding the risk in that that broader e-trade portfolio don't hesitate to reach out to me vmbestalk.com i can give you a full breakdown of you know what type of overall risk you you might have uh where you're uh overweight or underweight etc so i'd be happy to help on that front too fantastic thank you very much thanks for the call don great question and uh, it's always uh, part of us being an advisor is finding unique solutions for clients that they may not know about and, and making sure they're aware of whatever those solutions are, the pros and the cons. Everything has a risk. Now, in that case, that's a that's a pretty safe risk. Sounds like he has plenty over $2 million. He's probably not going to get margin called, and it's a short period of time. You float uh, 5%, 6% uh, interest rate for a short period of time, sell the house, and everything uh, works out pretty seamlessly. But you need to go into it eyes wide open, understanding the risks. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. NFT traders should get ready for a potential tax bill. And this is coming from Intuit's CEO. Remember, they're the maker of TurboTax. And he's saying that a lot of people are not aware of the type of uh, type of taxes that they will have to pay during this, this tax season, uh, especially with NFTs, cryptocurrency, and they do over 50 million turbo tax returns every year. So they have a lot of information on data patterns and provides a lot of insight to what people are doing. And what they're saying is a lot of millennials, new traders that are not just trading stocks and, you know, they're in their Robinhood account, but they're trading NFTs. I have friends that are doing it, making a, a lot of money. And, but guess what? The government doesn't take cryptocurrency. You have to off-ramp your cryptocurrency in back into fiat to pay your taxes. And I think that's going to put a big drag on the crypto space over the next few months as a lot of people are going to have to pay taxes. They're going to have to cash out those NFTs, those that cryptocurrency. And a lot of people have never done that. And I, 
I, I will tell you, I've had people try to do it. It's not as easy as you might think it is. And that's the really the biggest worry about the crypto space is what happens when everyone tries to rush to the exits back into fiat? Is that going to be possible? And in this environment, that might be interesting to watch. We're heading to a break. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Stephen, Justin, this is Stephen in Lubbock. I know somebody that's coming into some money that they could do a 1091 exchange to save on taxes, and they'd like to buy some a passive income rental property. But when we look at them, I'm seeing four to 5% annual returns, you know, plus whatever the property would be gaining, just the, the value of the property. It makes me wonder if, if someone could do better with that same amount of money and just some diversified dividend paying stocks. I'm just wondering if we're leaving a few percent on the table by uh, trying to make it really easy by just buying a triple net property. Just curious what you guys think uh, in that scenario. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right, great question. I believe he's talking about a 1031 exchange, not a 1091 exchange. And that's where you exchange properties like for like, and you avoid or you defer the tax consequences of that sale. And you can do that, uh, but what you're thinking is is definitely a, a strong consideration. A lot of people want to avoid the the 
capital gains tax that go with selling a large property. And 1031 exchange is the number one way to do that, the most common way to do that. But like you said, you're forced into just buying another rental property. And the big question is, do you want to have that? Do you want to be a landlord? Do you think uh, real estate is the best investment at the time with uh, currently prices pretty high in a pretty competitive market? So uh, your question is absolutely right. Would it be better to invest that into uh, the stock market, maybe the bond market, where you don't have to do any work? You don't have to worry about an air conditioning going out or a, a flood or natural disaster or, or a bad tenant, whatever it is that can go wrong with being a landlord and your tenant and the headaches around that. And some people are okay dealing with it. They, they hire a property manager uh, and they know a good one and, and, it, and it runs sm smooth even though occasionally they have some uh, things to worry about. Whereas stocks, bonds, it's more passive, especially if you have an advisor uh, like us that's doing it for you. So definitely something to consider weighing those pros and cons. Now there is one thing, it's called a charitable remainder trust, CRT. and we actually recorded an interview with uh, some trust attorneys. We're going to air that here in the next few days, probably. And it, it's a great tool where you can kind of do the same thing as a 1031 exchange where uh, you're deferring the taxes and you're investing all of that into stocks, bonds, and then taking in, uh, an annual distribution, usually 5%, 10%, something like that, depending on what you want to do. And, and you're deferring a lot of those taxes, investing a lot more money in that way. So that's another option as well. And if you need a little more information on that, uh, this works well for highly appreciated uh, types of assets. It could be cryptocurrency. It could be uh, a business. It could be uh, a, a real estate or a bunch of pieces of real estate. You can put all the assets kind of in at, at once and, and sell them and start to uh, reap the benefits right away. You actually get a, a tax break initially as well. So there's a lot of uh, great things about it. So that's an option. You're going to learn more about that when we post uh, that interview here in the next few days. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And I like the way you're thinking. You never, so many people, people make mistakes. They do the wrong thing simply by avoiding taxes. They say, oh, I don't want to pay the tax, so I'm going to do this at the exact wrong time. And so taxes are one factor. Remember, every investment decision, every money decision is multifactorial. You have to weigh all sides of it. And taxes are one implication, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Now let's touch a bit on rising bond yields and bond funds. And you've had a lot of turmoil in the markets. And what's interesting about this sell-off so far in, in January, basically, was that it was concentrated not just on equities, but bonds as well. Interest rates rising, and we know that hurt kind of long-duration assets, growth stocks in particular, but also long-duration assets are long-duration bonds. And so, the average, the, the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate bond index for the month of January was down about 2.2%. The average U.S. mortgage-backed security was down about 1.5% over that time. Now, it doesn't sound a lot. Remember, these are supposed to be safe securities. Bonds are supposed to be safe. But only a few U.S.-based funds in the investment-grade taxable debt world earned a positive return or even flat for the month of January. 
More than 300 others posted losses ranging from negative 0.1% all the way to negative 3.6% for the entire month. And investors withdrew about $1.6 billion from U.S. core and core plus and mortgage bond funds combined, according to Lipper, through January 26th. And this all has to do with duration, those longer dated bond funds. Remember, duration is the measure of how much a whole 1% change in interest rates would create uh, in uh, a, a volatility in that particular bond fund. So if your duration is, say, five years and bond yields, 10-year treasury goes up 1%, then this is likely going to fall 5%. Okay, so... There's something called modified duration, so that uh, helps account for the coupon rate. The higher the coupon rate, the lower the duration is because you're getting a lot of that back. High-yield bonds have a little bit lower duration than your investment grade because they have higher, higher debt or higher uh, yields. So they're a bit complex, but what it shows you is that you don't want to chase yield, especially in duration. A lot of people have been doing that. They've been going out farther, and they say, well, I want to earn – five or six percent. So I'm going to go with 20 or 30 year bonds. And you can do that in the high yield debt market, corporate debt market, but you're taking a lot of duration risk as well as uh, credit risk. So higher interest rates mean bad things for long duration bonds. So I'm we're in the camp that you'd rather take credit risk over duration risk, but uh, you need to be careful in this market. And it was a very unique January where both bonds and stocks fell. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some from iTunes reviewers. Mike Hawk says, on Monday, Justin said to move your stocks to the large broker, i.e. TD, and don't leave it in Robinhood. Why do you advise that? Oh, well, that's simple. Robinhood built its business based on commission-free trading. And we know how they did that. They're selling order flow, and they're making a small uh, spread or their customers are making a small spread on that trading and you know you can say that's fine especially for smaller traders but what you're what you get is free trading and you get a cool app the app is great right they they, they you when you buy something there's uh confetti that comes down they kind of gamified investing and investing isn't really a game and so i think the app is actually bad for you as an investor first off and the app doesn't give you much more than uh it's easy to use Whereas if you go to a large broker, not only are you getting much better customer service, the customer, you can't really talk to anybody at Robinhood. We've had clients move from Robinhood. It's a big pain in the butt. They can't really talk to anybody. It's not a good place from a customer service standpoint. And then they had shutdowns of their, of their service back in uh, around the COVID shutdown. You know, they, they struggled with the amount of volume. So they don't have the systems, or at least back then they didn't have the systems, and unlikely they, they still do, to handle this high volatility environment. And so I don't like that. I want to always be able to trade my positions and uh, these other larger brokers. And it could be TD. We use TD, but it could be Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, et cetera. Those are all fine. And they all have their their research tools. TD Ameritrade has Thinkorswim. That's uh, award-winning, very good. And it's free by having a TD account. And you get a lot more on the research side where Robinhood doesn't really give you much at all. And so you just look at the litany of factors. And in fact, that all these brokers are now free. Robinhood pushed them that way to where their trading is also commission-free. But now they still have the size, the heft, the safety, uh, the services, the uh, 
the research, everything that a large broker has because of their scale. And so why would you just because you were there at Robin doesn't mean that you should still be there. Because the only feature that made Robinhood good was the free trading is now a feature you have everywhere. So it's a no brainer, absolute no brainer to move to a larger broker, whichever one that is, I don't really care. Uh, like I said, we use TD, but it could be any one of the large brokers that are out there. Thanks for the question. FD says, I own Maztec MTZ, which is a decent percentage of my portfolio. I bought it four months ago on the news of an infrastructure deal. My average cost is $92 a share. Do you see it making a run up in the near future or should I sell it? Looking at MTZ, let's get take a look at what they do. This is Maztec. They provide building, installation, maintenance, and upgrade of communications, energy, and other infrastructure projects. Earnings supposed to be $5.52 last year, $5.39 this year, so down a little bit, down 2%. No dividend, about a $6.2 billion market cap. But And the chart has definitely been consolidating the pullback here over the past six, almost a year now, down 31% from its 52-week high. And uh, earnings really didn't grow much during the pandemic, and they've been flat really since 2019. I think that's why it's trading at... Uh, kind of a, a ho-hum multiple. Now, it's in the industrial space, which we like that. Trailing 12 months free cash flow of $600 million on a $6 billion market cap. That's about a 10% free cash flow yield. And over the last decade, their return on equity has averaged 15 18%, somewhere in that range. Uh, and, and I like that. Uh, consistently buying back shares as well. They had about 82 million shares outstanding in 2017, now down to 74 million. So they're using that cash flow to pay down debt, to buy back shares, invest in their business. And uh, the chart looks, you know, it doesn't look fantastic, but it's, I would say it's neutral. But it's not, there's nothing telling me here that this needs to be sold. Um, I, I would hold it. Uh, I, I like the space, you know, near term, it probably won't get a ton of traction, but I, I like the valuation here. I like that, like you said, they're aligning with the infrastructure package and the fact that their their products and services will be in demand. And so I'm a hold on Maztec. I don't love to own it right this second, but, uh, you know, over the medium term, I think it will do well. Now let's swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from listener in Alabama. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Todd in Birmingham. I have a question, if you don't mind, to for you to explain the form SC13G. I am looking at a company that BlackRock, Inc., has had to file that form. And I was curious if that is a positive for the stock or a negative, exactly what all is involved in that. Thank you. This is a great question because it highlights a huge factor in today's market, and that is indexing. What you're talking about is BlackRock. BlackRock owns the spiders, the SPY, the spider ETFs, all of the, the ETFs, the index funds that, that, they, that they operate. And they're the largest ETF provider in the world. And what happens is there's so much money flowing into these index funds that they start to own a large percentage of the overall company. And so in a 13G filing, it, they, have to, they have to report it when the party's ownership of the stock exceeds 5% of a company's total stock issued. And so more and more, BlackRock is having to file these 13Gs for these companies because they own them within these ETFs and they're 
massive. They're they're just so large. They're eating up the shares of these 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 public companies. And so, is it a is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, if money keeps flowing into the ETF and they own a, a large percentage of it, they're just going to keep buying more and more and more. And so, when things are good, it's good that BlackRock owns this. But if money starts to flow out of the ETF, that means BlackRock's going to start to have to sell a lot of the stock that they own. And so I think it's just going to up the level of volatility, the level of beta that happens within your portfolio if you own a lot of companies that are within the indices. So as long as the indexing craze continues and more money keeps flowing there, it's a good thing. If it starts reversing, it's going to be a bad thing. Now let's pivot back to another iTunes review question. Puma51 says, what are your what are your short and long-term thoughts on WM, Waste Management? Seems like a recession-proof stock. And the answer is yes, somewhat. Waste Management is a re- recession-proof stock because everyone needs their trash taken to the dump. And Waste Management is... Uh, right in that ballpark, uh, where no matter what happens, you're going to pay that bill and they have a lot of pricing power. So it's a very, very good business. So I like what you're saying. The problem is, is that it is just simply overvalued and kind of dramatically. So if you're definitely looking at, uh, the overall earnings member over the long term, it's kind of going to go up with the population growth. Um, and yes, they have some pricing power so they can increase those and increase the margins. So there's something to say about that, but their margins have been relatively steady over the past decade or so, about 10% on average. In fact, I don't love the fact that energy prices are going up because they have to go pick up that, that trash. They often use, I know we use waste management here and they use natural gas powered trucks. Well, natural gas prices are going up. Even if they use gasoline powered trucks, those are, are going up. So I don't like that. And it's trading about 31 times earnings and earnings expectations for the next couple of years are coming down, coming down overall. So our value is closer to $100 per share at $146 today. So is it recession-proof with business? Yes, but it doesn't mean that multiple can't come in. And I think you're going to have some multiple contraction, and that's why I'm going to pass on waste management until it gets to at least $100 per share. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. Hi, Justin. I'm a longtime listener over here at the West Coast area. I have a question about the ticker sign ACB. That's the Aurora Cannabis Incorporation. Also, Talkspace, T-A-L-K. You can uh, give me your thoughts on it offline. I appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day. 
All right. Well, both of these are money-losing companies, and they are very low. Uh, and you might be chasing them because they're trading at low dollar amount. So Aurora Cannabis, ACB, is around $4 per share. TLK is trading at $1.50. That does not mean they are cheap. In fact, these are very expensive because they lose money. And that's the issue here. Uh, if I'm picking one or the other, it'd be the cannabis one, ACB, just to, uh, because there's, uh, I think, more tailwinds there if it comes legal uh, here in the US. And now this is a Canadian based company. Um, but neither one I would get excited about now because they're, they're just burning capital. And these type of companies are going to struggle with the cost of capital going up. So I'm going to say don't touch either of them. And neither of them are cheap. Don't look at the price, understand their price in relation to their earnings. And there is none. There are no earnings. All right, let's pivot lastly to Amazon earnings came out after hours. There was a quote unquote big beat. A lot of that had to do with the Rivian, the Rivian acquisition or ownership and, and uh, gain on that. But they downgraded their earnings expectations. So I actually expect this to, to be faded most of, of tomorrow. But an interesting thing is happening in Alabama right now at Amazon warehouses there and Amazon warehouse there. And they are set to vote for the second time in a year on whether to unionize. Now, last year, about 71% of their workers voted to not use unionize against it. But the National Labor Relations Board basically forced them to do a revote, a new election. And while Amazon didn't say it violated labor laws in that vote, uh, and it's worked to uh, increase pay and benefits and uh, and all of that, they, they still are pushing for another vote. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the ballots, and et cetera. But the second vote is coming up. And organizers say there's a huge difference in this vote. One is because people are vaccinated and we're more closer to the end of the pandemic than the beginning, then they were able to meet in person as opposed to before it was largely done by mailing brochures and phone calls, things like that. And now employees are more knowledgeable about unions and their goals than they were uh, before. And organizer, organizers have advocated for higher pay, more breaks, ease performance quotas for workers. And Amazon has changed a little bit. Starting wage is now $18 an hour. Uh, they're, They've introduced bonuses up to $3,000. They've eased their, their pace of, of workers and uh, to prepare and sort packages. And so they're basically saying that we're, we're doing enough, but there's still a vote. And nearly half of the 6,143 eligible voters for this election weren't employers at this facility the last time they had a vote. So it's a whole new turnover. And the company has had turnover that is in excess of 100% in many of its facilities. So it just shows that workers aren't that happy when you have that much turnover. Clearly Amazon isn't treating their workers well enough for them to be happy. And that's why a lot of them are leaving. And workers have the most leverage in years because of a national labor shortage. And this is not just with Amazon, it's Starbucks, Deer, Mondelez, Kellogg. These are all companies that are threatening to unionize. And there's a push to. And Amazon has shown signs of feeling this crunch. Part of their of their downgrade uh, of their earnings expectations have to do with higher cost of fulfilling customer orders. Now they said that they would spend roughly four billion dollars in the three months ending December to address costs associated with getting products to customers, and that goes to hey paying people more. 
And I don't think this is the start uh, or end of the pressure on large corporations. And I think a resurgence in the power of unions now that you have a very tight labor force, you have higher inflation and people more focused on getting paid more because their day-to-day lives cost more. And so this is something definitely to watch for because it, it could have a major impact on earnings, especially for large corporations where they have huge workforces that could start to unionize. And, and those type of uh, large workforces tend to unionize more because uh, that effort uh, just can be spread out over a lot bigger uh, workforce. So uh, interesting story over there. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast download, and it's official. We've crossed over the 38 million download mark for on our way to 39 million, thanks to you. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you do, leave a review and ask a question. We will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. <laughs>